Tim and Brian. Hello and welcome to Super 2, the Providence Journal's Red Sox podcast. I'm Tim Britton, joined as always by Brian McPherson in Houston and also a special guest today, uh, John Shambi from ESPN, also in Houston, uh, set to broadcast uh, the Sunday night game on the radio in Houston tonight, Red Sox and Astros. How are you guys doing? Good. I feel Tim. special. <laughs> you should always feel special, John. I appreciate that, Brian. <laughs> So you were you were here. We were both in Houston last night as well. You shot over um, in time to call the Saturday night game on the radio in advance of calling the Sunday night game as well. Um, so you got to see Rick Porcello kind of get it handed to him a little bit. And this is not a new thing. You know, Porcello is Tim and I have talked about this a lot. That Porcello is a kind of narrow margin for error kind of guy. That if he's missing location by just a little bit, he's going to get hit hard. You know. Over the course of his career, he's had some ups and downs. Obviously, last year was sensational. This year, much less so. If you're the Red Sox, are you are you concerned in the big picture about Rick Porcello? Yes. I mean, I would be. I, I would say for me, it starts with not to be disagreeable, but which is what people say when they start to be disagreeable. But yeah, I didn't even think he was that great last year. To be honest, I thought it was a really down year for that award. Um, He's not a guy personally that I've ever really loved. And I think that part of what has taken place, and we've looked at this some when we've had him for ESPN games, but he's changed as a pitcher. You know, he came up with that that two-seam guy. Um, But if you look at his usage, Tigers to Red Sox, he's thrown more four-seamers like the, the usage of four seamers has increased by a pretty significant amount, and that you know changes a guy. If you thought of him as a, as a sinker baller, even though never put up spectacular numbers, you know relying on that two seamer in Detroit, and then you know now you said it can't throw the fastball where he wants. He's kind of flipping that curveball in there, and and was getting it got hit a couple of times, and just not getting great results um he's just not a guy i love i you know if if i'm trotting him out there um i think the expectation on the cy young is the thing but i you know as as a three and a half or something like that um especially you know in big positions i'm fine with it but uh i i think overall he's uh i just guess i lean more towards you know last year was the outlier yeah, the, the thing that struck me about his season last year was we talked <clears throat> so much about uh, kind of, you know, August 2015 and on, he kind of you know, refocused on the two-seamer and got the command of that back. But even when you look at his 2016, uh, it was like the, the strategy that he tried to put into play in 2015, which is the two-seamer down, the four-seamer up to maybe get some more swing and miss. That's just what he executed a little bit better last year than he did uh, at any point in 2015. Uh, and now it seems we're seeing... Uh, that that poor command of the fastball, you know, it, it's tough to throw both the two and the four seam uh, really precisely uh, for a lot of pitchers, and it seems like he's going through that again, where he can't really spot either one of them where he wants to. Yeah, no doubt. And then, and you're talking about, and again, look, you're still he's still accomplished more, but and this isn't Joe Kelly when you're talking about two versus four seam with like elite elite velocity. So that when he misses, you know, again, the amount, you know, the hits per innings pitched is is pretty overwhelming. And I'm sure that there's some randomness to that. But still, that's, you know, you're talking about close to 30 more hits than innings pitched for 
a guy that you're you're counting on in that spot. And I, you know, again, I, for me, guys, you know, winning the division or and or making the playoffs is part of what the Red Sox are looking at. But then also thriving in the playoffs, <laughs> I just think that getting Price, I feel like getting Price back healthy and executing and, you know, fairly consistently at an elite level, I think that's a way more crucial thing than Rick Porcello. Yeah, and, you know, it's it's funny now. It's even funny now to think, like, yes, obviously he won the Cy Young last year, but he was the, the game one starter last year. And certainly when you when you acquire Chris Sale, you know, even when you get David Price, you're not expecting David Price to pitch anything but game one of a playoff series. Clearly, if the Red Sox make the playoffs this year, Chris Sale's starting game one of that series. You know, Sale has thrived where others have struggled. You know, Porcello struggled in 2015, and he talked about that with his mentality. Clearly, Price has had some struggles adapting to Boston. We could talk about that in a minute, too. But are you surprised at all that Chris Sale is is succeeding where others before him have failed, the John Lackeys and Josh Beckett's and all these guys who, even if they eventually pitched well in Boston, weren't able to pitch well right away? Or is Sale the sort of guy that you expected to be able to come in and, you know, put aside whatever distractions there might have been and, and just be the same pitcher he was before he got to Boston? Um, all right, can I, can I, before I answer the question, or is so the implication, though, is that, that those guys or that got, like certain pitchers come to Boston and that it's just hard for them to handle Boston? It certainly seems that way. I mean, Porcello openly acknowledged it as... You know, some of it was Boston, some of it might have been his new contract, but he made pretty clear that it was a mental adjustment he needed to make and a stylistic, you know, those four-seamers came from trying to be a better pitcher than he was. And I think we've seen it with Price that, I mean, he clearly is bristling at the intensity, the media environment, all of that that comes with Boston. And, you know, you don't know how much of that contributes to his performance and how much of it might be his elbow, but, you know, he he seems like he's not, really dealing with it the way you necessarily would want him to, whereas Sale certainly seems to have had no problem with it so far. And, you know, it's also one of those things that, you know, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Like, is he dealing with it well because he's pitching well, or is he pitching well because he's dealing with it well? So, start with Sale. I guess I have a tendency to be... Look, it's hard for you guys... But, like, because I'm not around it every single day, I think I stay out of the narrative stuff. And whereas I I get it in Boston, they have, for me, in my opinion, they have the best fans, the most intense fans, the smartest fans. Like, you know, they're, they're just on it. And, you know, the, the media as well, it's, it's intense. You're going to get better, stronger, more pointed questions more often than not from the, you know, from the Red Sox writers um, than you are most places. I guess it going into it, I just thought Chris Sale's elite. He'll pitch well, and he's been one of the elite starters. Um, and and whereas Price, yes, I know that, um, you know, he's got a Cy Young, and, and I, I know the track record, but in seeing Price, even the the decline in velocity. I, I mean, I watched him last year. I, I just it didn't it didn't surprise me. I would have been more surprised if Chris Sale had struggled. I really would. I just because I think he's that good. Like Chris Sale's been better than David Price. Chris Sale's a better pitcher than David Price. Um, and 
he yeah he's come in and um, yeah he's he's been incredible. Um, I guess now we can talk about David Price in the media. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll talk about David Price as a star as a pitcher first. <laughs> that's a little easier to do, uh, maybe. Um, so he, he's on the mound tonight. It's his fifth start. Uh, he had, you know, he still has the one really good one in Baltimore that was so encouraging, uh, coming off the disabled list. Uh, yeah, the the bad one in New York. The other two have kind of been middling starts so far. Uh, you you mentioned kind of the the changes in him as a pitcher even last year. But uh, w- when you look at Price, what, what kind of pitcher do you think he is for the rest of 2017? And then maybe even looking farther down the line for a, a team that has him under contract for the next five and a half seasons. Um, I like how you said that with the opt-out, a team. Um, <laughs> that's going to be an interesting one. I'm sorry, but it's like, would he really opt out? I mean, I, that, that would be incredible to me to see a guy. Anyway, all right. Um, what type of pitcher is, will he be the rest of the year? Man, I don't like being negative guy, but I guess I just, I, I feel like it's, Subtly and slowly, Price, there's been a, you know, a, a decline in, in performance level, you know, and I like him. I, I think, I do think this, I think that even last year, it's not like he was bad last year. I mean, David Price last year was good, but when he's getting paid that level of money, people are going to expect him to be Cy Young contending uh, every year. I think that, and when he pitches the way he pitches last year, that's not the type of guy that's going into the postseason to dominate because he gave you innings and you know, there were strikeouts, but it wasn't at some high level. I don't, I don't have a good feel for if he's going to be this like four seam, two seam, and cutter guy. I don't know. I just I don't I don't see that as being. Uh, because again, he's not you know, the velocity isn't ninety seven anymore or not you know, hitting it that so you know, he throws his curveball so rarely and when he came up he was that four seam with the the big hammer and I guess, you know, now he doesn't think of his curveball as being an elite type pitch. And you know, we had a stretcher he's throwing his change up a lot more. I don't I don't have a, a feeling like this is going to be okay, and I don't have a feeling like this is going to be bad. I think it's, it's probably going to be frustrating to watch. So in terms of that opt-out, you know, it's I agree that the idea of somebody leaving, you know, I think he'd have four years and I think north of $125 million left on that contract to walk away from that. You know, certainly if he's hurt, you know, that's not going to happen. But, you know, if if he's pitching well, what do you think drives those sorts of decisions? You know, Zach Grinke left money, money on the table when he opted out. Like, is it, I mean, do you think it's it's totally cut and dried that if he can get more than 127, I think it is, million dollars? Or is it like, I really hate it here, I need to go somewhere else? Like, would somebody ever do uh, that? Yeah, that's so that's challenging. I look at, I mean, again, he he's already had his choice once. I, I had the hardest time believing you know, the hardest time believing that, look, he made this decision once already, and it's not as if someone did not pass him the memo that Boston is a tough sports media town. You know, like, he he, he was at the meeting. I'm sorry. Like, he knew. 
and he took the money instead of going to St. Louis. And it's it's sort of like, I mean, again, I'm saying this from the outside, but for whatever you want to say about Sandoval, when he signed, my one thought was, man, this is a guy that is considered sensitive. They get on him about his weight, and in terms of how he has consistently behaved with the media, I don't feel like he had... I feel like he took the money and knew what was going on, and I don't feel like he's been overly loud about how unfairly he's been covered. And not that I think that he has been unfairly covered, but my point is I feel like with Sandoval, a sensitive guy took the money knowing what the heck was going on. It has not gone particularly well, but I don't feel like Sandoval himself has consistently complained about how he's been covered, meaning... He understands what the deal is. Again, this is just my opinion. For Price, I I just got to assume, you know, I guess if he were to feel as though someone would offer him 120 and he'd give back, you know, seven or something, then maybe he'd think about it if he dislikes it that much. But, um, man, I'm not so sure about any of those those things. And, again, I, I almost wonder if, the Red Sox weren't hoping that he would come here, pitch really well, and then when he went to opt out, do the smart version of what the Yankees should have done with CeCe and say, all right, take care. Great, thanks so much, and just let him be. So, um, yeah, I, 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 have a, I think that, that the decision by and large is based on money. I don't know what – I can't give you the tipping point, but, you know, if he's – not in a position to get that money back over that stretch. I, I don't. I don't see him doing it. I really don't. Yeah, well, the 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 Sabathia one is the the prime example to me of, of a contract that would have been maybe the as good a free agent pitcher contract as you could have given if the Yankees just let him walk after that third year. Uh, and, and with Price, it, it it's weird to me how quickly our expectations have changed for him. You know, last year he's got. The, the ERA, I think, just under four in the 230 innings, so a, v- a valuable season in its own right. Uh, but I think everyone coming into this year expected something more than that. Uh, and now because of the elbow injury, because of how the first few starts have gone, I think most people would say, well, if he, if he just does what he did last year for the next, <laughs> for the next three months, we're, we're good with that. Yeah, and I would, be, I would take, take that as well. I, do, you know, I, I, I would take that as well because, you know, again, they – it's funny, I, it, it ties into something I'm sure we don't have enough time, but my big thing um, as it related to the Astros is I feel like they're the ones that should have traded for Chris Sale. I feel like that rarely does it set up where a team that's not, you know, big money, major market is in a position to get an elite talent with that level of service time where the cost isn't going to explode on you, where you were sitting on three years, $38 million of Chris Sale you know, to me, that's valuable. But the way the Astros and a lot of the Sabre teams, you know, really aggressively, you know, Sabre-minded teams look at it is, okay, it's going to take X amount of wins to win the division. We think we're going to win Y amount of games. We don't need Chris Sale to do that. And then the postseason is the postseason. But I do think that at times you got to change the mindset. And I think Chris Sale is the type of pitcher that helps you win in the playoffs is it subtle yeah but like again my opinion 
remember, game one of a playoff series, there are a lot of guys that rather have start for me than Dallas Keuchel, and it's simply because of the strikeouts. I want guys who are going to strike people out. Um, you know, I talked about saber-minded teams. Like, Theo Epstein and the Cubs, you know, they got they get that thrown on them, but they traded for a role to Chapman to win the World Series. Like, there's no – they didn't trade for him because they needed some help winning the division. They traded for him because they thought it would help them win the World Series. Uh I think, and then you sit here and talk about who the Astros might go and uh, and get Sonny Gray and Donna, and, and like those guys aren't. It's, they're just another guy in, in terms of like the level of roughly the level of what they have. And I think that when you get to the playoffs, you know what would make the Red Sox dangerous if they were to get there at least part of it is Chris Sale. Yeah, and, and Sale appealed to the Red Sox in some ways because of that same contract. I mean, given the luxury tax threshold, given the escalating penalties for going over, given the you know the draft ramifications now, the Red Sox made that decision to stay under, um, and Sale allowed them to do that. You know, obviously the price contract is not helpful in that way, um, and and the Sandoval contract is not helpful in that way. And it seems like now they're kind of they're trying to figure out what to do with Sandoval because he's still owed so much money. He's still, yep. you know, with the buyout, it's it's getting close to $50 million that he's still owed. But he didn't play Friday in Houston. He didn't play Saturday in Houston. Yep. You know, Josh Rutledge has made some plays. Sandoval came in late. I think they wanted to get Mitch Moreland out of the game. So Sandoval comes in late, makes a nice backhanded play down the line. But the Red Sox don't trust him defensively. That's become increasingly clear, and Josh just like Devin Marrero did before he was sent down, Josh Rutledge has handled the job. Is I mean, would you be stunned if the Red Sox cut bait with Pablo Sandoval like before the trade deadline? Is I mean, it's an extraordinary amount of money to just give up on. But on the other hand, if they've completely lost trust in him and he's just dead weight on the roster and a sunk cost, it's getting harder to see a, envision a scenario, you know, that has him still on the roster in August. Well, it, well, I think the biggest thing is that for everybody, it's it's difficult to envision a scenario where he's, you know, productive. So I think that, uh, yeah, I think you're right. It's a, it's a it's a lot of money, and when you that that's a little that would be a little bit jarring. But then once you get past that, uh, I can't say it would totally blow me away if they did just. You know, end it with him uh, because it's it's been so bad, and they're going to need to figure something out at third base for sure. So, so you've seen plenty of the Red Sox. Uh, you've also seen plenty of the American League. I think sometimes Brian and I and, and everyone in Boston sees just the Red Sox, and uh, there's a lot of consternation about a team that's still uh, you know eight games clear of 500, uh, just a, a game behind the Yankees in the American League East. Uh, where do you kind of position the Red Sox in the American League? You know, we've seen the Astros uh, play so well, especially in the month of May, uh, to kind of jump out to that huge lead in the AL West. The Central is uh, still a, a muddle, but I think most people expect the Indians to eventually emerge from that. Where, where does Boston fit in that hierarchy to you so far? Um, I think that they're yeah, the, par- the part that's interesting to me is that I, I mean, I feel I felt positive about this Red Sox team coming into the year. Uh, I'm sure that part of it was an expectation of you know David Price, at least closer to last year. But I, I still think that, yeah, I don't think Benintendi's going to slot five. I think that they're going to solve third base and, and get a little more power. I've been surprised by 
the struggle with slugging and the struggle with hitting with hitting home runs. But I really, I have, yeah, I have a, a hope in terms of, you know, what what's still to come for the Red Sox. So I would kind of plug them in. I think the Astros are the best team pretty clearly. And then, um, you know, I was asked the other day who, if you had to push uh, on it, Yankees or Red Sox to win the division, I would say that the Red Sox are more likely. Just, uh, I think there's still upside with that lineup. And I do think that when, you know, everything – when it really gets down to it, I do think that the, the Red Sox pitching uh, you know, will be better, and I like the guy at the, at the front of the rotation. So I think that they're in that that next level. I think that it's the Astros and then down, you know, they're in that same category with the Yankees and, uh, and the Indians. And I guess the Twins, I, I'm still, I still struggle with that one because I still – don't really believe that they're going to stick around. How how much of a race do you expect in the East? I mean, the Yankees, I think, have surprised a lot of people how fast they've been able to turn this thing around, given that they were selling off parts last year, and obviously they didn't sell off all their parts, and you know, Aaron Judge has been phenomenal. But, you know, when, when the Blue Jays completely fell apart in April, you know, I think I started to wonder if once this thing got sorted out that the Red Sox would have some, some breathing room in the East because nobody else looked like a surefire contender, and now the Yankees really do. Like, do you see this, I mean, especially now that winning the division matters so much more that, you know, neither of these teams are just going to cruise and have one of them think, hey, we'll win the wild card, no big deal. Like, this is, it matters whether you win the division. Like, do you see this as being a division race that goes deep into September? Um, I don't know about deep into September, but I, I do think it's going to, I think for, the Yankees are going to score. So I, I don't see that changing. That's one of the, one of the big elements of it. I, I, you know, the record, I think they're now over the last 35, I think they're one under. But they're, they're a good team. I think I'm surprised by the Yankees. I would say Brian Cashman's surprised by the Yankees. I'm not – if they were to continue on a roll and steamroll people, I think that they would have to go out and get something. But if it's – you know, if they really end up, you know, moving towards being a you know, eight, seven-win team, they're sort of into it, or they're sort of in it, I don't know that they're going to try and make the big splash and get the pitcher. I think they still feel like their future is, you know, a year from now. Um, so, But I think they're – you know, they're, they're good enough. You know, they – it's – there's, there's some talent there. You have a, you know, two innings. When Chapman is healthy, you basically have two scoreless innings in your pocket with him and chances. Some nights even more than that. Um, I like their team. I, I don't love their starting pitching, but I, I expect the Red Sox to end up winning this division. I don't think that they're going to be able to step on the gas and just last past them, but I think at least until early September, it's going to be pretty competitive. You mentioned kind of going down the list of the teams in the AL in that next tier, and, and you get to the Twins because you know right now they're they're in the wild the second wild card position. But the, the rest of the AL East, you've got Tampa, who's a game over, Baltimore, who's a game under now, and has, has struggled a lot for the last month, and Toronto, who's bounced back a bit to be three under. Do, do any of those teams, the Rays, Orioles, or Blue Jays, jump out at you as a team that can can make a run and be part of either the division race or the or the wild card? 
no, but it's a funny thing because I say no, and look how tight the division is. I mean, you know, if I'm the, I mean, on a technical sense, if I'm those teams, like, I feel like I'm in a pretty good position. You know what I'm saying? So, I, but no, I don't love any of those teams. That's that's for sure. And I, um, you know, the Orioles are very similar to teams that we've seen in the past from them. They're not, you know, they've been in the midst of a terrible stretch, but. Um, no, I think the Yankees and the Red Sox are the two best teams. One of the treats of this series in Houston, just like one of the treats at the beginning of the season um, when the Red Sox played Cleveland, was the chance to see Xander Bogarts and some two of the other best shortstops in you know this golden era of shortstops now um, with Carlos Correa in Houston and um, Francisco Lindor in Cleveland. That's not even to mention some of the guys in the National League, Corey Seager, etc., where does Bogart slot into that group for you? Um, yeah, it's a good question. Um, he, I really like him as a player. You know, defensively, at times he he, he can look kind of awkward to me, but I, I still think he's he's pretty good. And I'm trying to remember the last time that I looked metrics wise, I feel like he wasn't having a particularly good year as far as defensive metrics this year. Um, I I like him. I mean, I think that, you know, he's not at the Correa Lindor level. I don't believe, Um, you know, it's his numbers this year have been odd for a guy who had 21 homers last year. It's kind of funny that, He's only got two this season, and yet the slugging is the slugging is pretty good. So, um, I don't know. I would say. I mean, look, Seager's a monster. You know, he's. He, I think Seager and Correa have the ability, along probably Lindor as well. With uh, yeah, they. You know, when you're talking about guys that have the, the possibility of putting up like 300, 400, 500 seasons or something, you know, fairly close. And he's not quite in that um, in that range. Let's look at defensive runs. Yeah, he's not, not at least not plus two. So, but I, I like him a lot. I love the contact ability. I think he's still capable of delivering some power. So, I mean, you want a number? Um, I don't know. You know, in terms of, of ranking, I I think he's. Uh, I think he's one of the elite shortstops in the game. I don't think he's quite in the, you know, the Seager, Correa, Lindor category, but I, I like him. With with Mike Trout out now, the AL MVP voting seems to be kind of wide open, could potentially be wide open if Trout misses some time. Mookie Betts has picked the right time to get hot. Not if be... New York. <laughs> That's true. Aaron Judge is absolutely the front runner right now, but, you know, we don't know. We don't know where that's going to go. I mean, maybe, obviously, you have more insight into that as to how sustainable that is. You, is this a, a Betts judge sort of race? Red Sox writers, you're 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 the you're mean Red Sox writers. You're the you're the guys that, on the one hand, you're you're absolutely pooping on Aaron Judge because he's a Yankee, and you guys are also being mean to David Price. You're villains <laughs> all around. It's true. We, we don't like anybody. That's that's the <laughs> that's the general the, the guiding principle. <laughs> And it, yeah, and you don't like it, and that's why I like you guys, to be honest. Um, MVP. I mean, look, right now MVP. I, I would give it to Aaron Judge. Like, we're I'm good. So, I, as far as, I mean, 
look, if Mookie puts up a season like he did last year, I love Mookie Betts as a player. Uh, he just he does everything. He does everything. And, yeah, if you were to tell me that he was going to really step on the gas and um, the rest of the way put up uh, you know, astounding numbers and win the MVP, that's fine. I think the only thing I would say is still, you know, if Trout comes back and plays at roughly the same level, going to have to go Mike Trout there. I just think that there's – I mean, like, I'm sorry, guys, but, like, last year if they had given Kershaw the Cy Young in the National League, I would have been kind of like, you know, okay, I'm fine with that. I mean, just because, yeah, I, I understand, you know, the impact over the whole season, but the level of play when they're on the field. So we'll, we'll wait and see on that one. But, yeah, Mookie's definitely got a chance at it. Like I said, I think, you know, right now it's Judge. So – that's that. That's my take. But uh, yeah, the Heat man, Mookie's a special player. I love his ability to impact the game in every way. Love watching him defensively. The hands are just so lightning quick, and so you know, there's that power out of that little body. <clears throat> and yeah, it's fun. There's you know one of these two teams that we're getting a chance to watch when I'm watching the Red Sox and the Astros. The athleticism. So overwhelming on the field. Well, well, John, we always like to have someone on who uh, doesn't fear being negative <laughs> about the Red Sox. That fits in <laughs> pretty well with, with what we do. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time out. I know you're, you're busy uh, between uh, broadcasts here. and uh, We look forward to listening to you tonight on, on ESPN Radio. Thanks, fellas. Thanks for having me on. Thank Thanks, you. Guys.